You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. Hey guys, I'm so excited about the live episode with Ellie Dio. We had such a great conversation about her journey as a mom and an entrepreneur and how she went from $12 in the bank to creating a multi-million dollar company with her stimulus check. If you missed the episode, you can still check it out on youtube.com forward slash Aquania Escarnet. That's youtube.com forward slash A-C-Q-U-A-N-I-A-E-S-C-A-R-N-E. Don't forget to like and subscribe to my YouTube channel so you'll be notified when new videos come out. Black women are paid 58 cents for every dollar paid to white men. In this episode, I'm talking with Angela Bishop Ross about how to close the wage gap and get paid what you deserve. Angela Bishop Ross is a lupus warrior, business money and life coach, and president of a small tax firm in Oakland, California. She loves helping women to find clarity and confidence, build and organize their small business, own their money, and reach financial freedom and get their life all the way together. Without further ado, I'd love to welcome Angela to the show. Hey, Angela, welcome to The Purpose of Money. How are you? I am wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Yes, this is going to be a good conversation because it is Black Women Equal Pay Day. And this is a very important thing to remember because what it signifies is how long it actually takes Black women to work to get the same amount of money as non-Hispanic white men which is well beyond what it takes them to do in a year. So we're we're already in September and it's sad that we have to wait this long to get equal pay. But before we hop into that conversation, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Okay. So hopefully you'll remember this. What did you want to be when you were a kid? And did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Ooh, okay. So I wanted to be a doctor. And I think, you know, most young kids grow up saying things like that. But but I really did. I was I was into the blood and the guts. You know, I was never afraid. You know, we'd find a bird or a frog or a tadpole. I had no problem getting in and actually um, um, got into medical school, um, did a summer bridge program and almost immediately knew it wasn't for me. I, I just, and I, and to this day, I still cannot tell you what it was exactly. Um, but I just knew on a cellular level that it, it wasn't what I really wanted to do. Um, but I, at the time was a conformer, you know, I was a, a type A, you know, people pleaser and um, had a mother, have a mother at the time who was, you know, very much into image. And so I just continued on, but got enough guts to say, okay, yeah, I don't want to do this. So um, did not go to medical school, um, but finished my college degrees. Um, I do have multiple degrees only because again, the conformer, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, And I didn't have the guts, nor did I even know that I could change my mind. 
So I just kept going. And um, for a while, I was embarrassed that I had that many degrees, but, you know, because it signified that I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't have the agency, you know, over my decisions, or at least I felt that way. Um, I grew up with, um, well, I didn't really grow up with parents that were self-employed, but I grew up around um, people who were self-employed. My, both my parents became self-employed when I was in middle school. My uh, mother became a real estate broker. My father uh, left Standard Oil. He was the first black executive, uh, black VP at Standard Oil. However, they still retired him early. So in, es in essence, he got caught up in layoffs and um, out of necessity, decided to uh, start his own accounting firm. Well, it began as a bookkeeping company and it was supposed to be part-time till he found something, but he discovered that that was his thing. And I was in middle school at the time. And so uh, all of his friends were self-employed. They all had, they were all insurance uh, agents, uh, CPA firms, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs. And um, so I was already familiar with that, but in my mind, entrepreneurship equaled instability and, and uncertainty. And uh, this December Capricorn who likes, uh, um, you know, process, I like, um, 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 what's the word, routine. And, uh, uh, you know, I, it meant, you know, it was uncomfortable. And, you know, there were times when we were high on the hog and, you know, balling. And then there were times when we weren't. And I, I couldn't take that. It, it affected me and it affected my relationship with money. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go get my, my paper, my degrees and get out there in the corporate world, climb that corporate ladder and start balling, which I did. Um, I had some amazing jobs. I, um, well, let me back up because this is important. Uh, I, I somehow, well, really through peer pressure, uh, got into psychology and decided I was going to be a clinical therapist. And I was for a few years. However, my clinical manager recognized that this was not for me. I am a problem solver. So the whole idea of sitting there listening to somebody, you know, talk about their problems, and I just had to listen. I couldn't jump in and fix it. You know, I want to, I'm like, well, 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 so let's put a plan together. What are we doing? Step one, you know, and um, so it wasn't working. So she was like, yeah, you need to go find something else to do. So I immediately got into human resources. And this is back when, and I'm telling, given my age, this was back in the early 90s when it was still called per the personnel department. And there weren't a lot of um, African-American women in particular in HR. You couldn't get a degree in HR. Um, HR was maybe a semester course in a graduate program. So that's how it was back then. And so I got into it and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I've been um, in just about every HR discipline except benefits because <laughs> I, I had a taste of it and was like, yeah, um, um, except benefits. Um, I did um, get into compensation. I'm a numbers person. Um, so once I began to understand, um, as I rose the, the corporate HR ladder, I began to understand the politics of compensation and, and the role that it plays within the corporate structure. Um, and it okay. fascinates me. I like that. So let's hold on, hold on. I want you to hold on just a minute. Cause 
I'm going to dive into that compensation part because I knew you were the queen to talk about it. So <laughs> let's hold off on the compensation chat. But I love where you're going with this because one, it sounds like you're a trailblazer. You got into the industry when there weren't a lot of us and you rocked it. You went to different parts and you you tried different things to really find your niche, but then also to be more helpful to what is now your coaching clients, I'm sure, right? Um, but I did want to kind of go back to one thing you were saying about being a child of entrepreneurs because that's similar to my story. Uh, my parents uh, were divorced when I was a kid, but my dad ended up staying in the military and retiring from the military. But my mom was a full-time entrepreneur most of my childhood. And I experienced the same things where there was a ups and downs when it came to finances. And my mom was also a accounting background. She had a degree in accounting and she would do that for small businesses, but then also sold ATM machines. So life insurance, she just it's had, you know, yeah. yeah, like on, on the hustle, hustle grind. you know, uh, work for the IRS during tax season, you know, different things like that. But I still feel like that experience probably shaped the entrepreneur you are today, because for me, it showed me that entrepreneurship is hard, but it didn't discourage me from entrepreneurship. It just gave me some things that I knew I wanted to do differently once I had my own business, right? And so one major thing, for example, is my mom only hired me. She never hired people to help her in her business. She didn't really try to scale her business. And she worked really hard and she had the grit, but she never had the six-figure incomes that she really could have had had she scaled and leveraged outsourcing. So one of the things I did when I realized how my business was growing is I was like, oh, I need to hire contractors. I need to outsource the work I don't want to do. I need to figure out scaling and hiring a coach. I don't know if my mom ever really had a coach. So like, I, I always like to talk to other women who were raised by entrepreneurs or around entrepreneurs to get that side of the story because even if it wasn't the best experience, it still influenced who you are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's always, you know, the dark side of entrepreneurship, right? And there's, you know, just like there's the dark side to anything. Um, but there are so many positives to entrepreneurship, even with the struggles. And like you said, it absolutely shaped me in ways that I didn't even realize until I actually fully, fully stepped into entrepreneurship. Um, it shaped how I, it shaped the corporate animal that I was, for sure. You know, um, it shaped, uh, it influenced my drive to, to climb the ladder. Um, you know, and, and at that time, it was more about, like what you said, what I didn't want. And, you know, my dad, um, he is a character. So if you can imagine um, Fred Sanford, Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable, George Jefferson, and Bernie Mac. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is my 80-year-old dad. So there's always some tomfoolery and shenanigans going on in the, in the office. Um, but, but he's always dropping pearls. And I grew up hearing all the time. Um, it's okay to not know what you want, but you damn well better know what you don't want. 
And I typically operated from that place, um, not realizing that I could lead with, you know, um, discovering what I wanted. So to tie that into entrepreneurship, um, I was so busy running from it that I didn't realize that that intrinsically is who I am. And it took my husband really um, saying, stop playing. (laughs) Stop playing. Come on now. Like, stop. And, um, you know, and with his support um, and encouragement and really a serious shove, um, you know, I got out there and started uh, doing HR consulting on my own Um, because I was already entrepreneurial within the the context of corporate, which is why I did so well. And and I was constantly told that by my bosses. you know, you're so entrepreneurial. You're always looking for, you know, you know, the solution and the fix and the this and the that. And so anyway, um, so by the time I, I, you know, start, you know, hung my shingle um, and started growing the, the consulting piece, um, you know, my, my father's firm needed help and he needed my kind of help. And so I joined and started working and, Um, similar to your mom, you know, he never really wanted to scale, you know, he's, he scaled out of necessity, but, but kept a tight rein, you know, he made it clear. I don't want any more than, you know, five employees. And I don't want, you know, like, I'm not a manager. I don't manage people. That's, that's not me, which is how I got into the family business. He was like, I got too many people and I don't want to be bothered with them. And I need you to come in and, and, and manage them. Right. So that's what that's how I got into it. Um, And, you know, you know, my my finance background is because I I did work in finance from from an operations from an HR standpoint. But I've always been a numbers person. You know, I've always worked in my dad's office. You know, I'm an accountant by default. Um, um, But that's not my passion. I didn't go to school for that, but I know enough to be dirty. I mean, I'm sorry. I know enough to be dangerous. And also something that my father's always taught me and that I've learned over the years helping other small businesses is that it's critically important to understand every area of your business. Um, but anyway, so, so once I, you know, joined the firm, like you, I, bell started popping off, you know, I need to do this different. I need to do that different. I need to, you know, we need to change this around. And a big part of what I've become as a consultant is that I, I'm paid to look for what doesn't work and mm-hmm. fix it. I like that. I like you know? that. I like so, that. yeah. So ho- hopefully, I know I kind of went the long way around, but. You're fine. There you are. Okay, okay. Um, I that feel Bishop like girls, that Bishop Jean. I girl. know you just you just have to really tell the story how it is, and I think people need to understand it's okay to have that path, going to school, getting the degrees, figuring out where you want to be. Once you get into the family business, how to make it better. I think a lot of us resist what our parents are doing because. We just want to have our own path, right? And we think that 
we're meant to be distinguished and separated. And, you know, I don't want to get into that. But then your dad showed you the value you could add to his business, even if you're not an accountant, you know, even if you don't want to crunch the numbers. So I really do like that story and I appreciate you sharing it. But let's hop into this conversation because I know that's what you want to talk about. So on Equal Pay Day, which fell on March 15th this year, President Biden said, I'm continuing to work with Congress to pass critical legislation that would lower the cost of child care, elder care, home-based health care, and other major barriers to working families while raising compensation for care workers who are disproportionately women of color and who have been underpaid and undervalued for far too long. So my question to you is, What do you think about the fact that Equal Pay Day for Black women shifted from August 3rd in 2021 to September 21st in 2022? Well, honestly, it says a lot. It says what we already know, (laughs) really, you know, where we stand, Um, you know, our value, right? Um, or lack thereof, really. Um, and, you know, honestly, that's what it says to me. You know, um, I, I can elaborate more if you like, but to cut straight to the chase, that's what it is. Be frank and honest. And I think you're right. And I think that it's sad because for I've always made a uh, mission to do an episode on equal pay day for black women specifically because my audience is black women of, and women of color and for several years we've been able to do it in august and when i learned that the date shifted by over a month i was shocked i was like what is going on and it's hard enough to admit inflation rising prices people are losing their jobs some of them are trans changing jobs and may not be getting same compensation in the process we're already struggling on so many fronts and now we're expected to build wealth making less and dealing with the rising prices in fact statistics show that women earn an estimated 407 thousand $407,000 less than men over a 40-year career. So $400,000 is huge. And then it's a lifetime. Do you know how much wealth we could be building? And the I reason, that, you know, it's, it's crazy. I think, about the, I think about the interest that that <laughs> could be earning, I, you know, the compounded interest. I think about the investments that could be made with that money. I think about how many kids could get put to school with that money. I just, you know, so girl, don't get me started. Houses, because think about it. That actually is the reason why I started the purpose of money. So 2018, I started the purpose of money.com as a platform to teach women how to build wealth because so many women are single mothers or heads of household trying to build wealth and making less. It's a fact. They're making less than male colleagues, but they're like, I'm still trying to buy the house. I'm still trying to take care of my aging parents. I'm still trying to provide a college education for my children. And oh, by the way, my white colleague right next to me who does the same job makes more than me. What do I do in this situation? So I want to ask you, when it comes to salary negotiation, 
rumor has it, I think you taught me this, that women don't ask for more or they don't negotiate their salaries. Why do you think that is? Well, let me let me clarify a little bit. Um, you know, quite frankly, the you know the 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 belief is that women in general don't. My experience, um, and again, I've been in the HR game, um, recruiting for a while, recruiting and staffing for a while, succession planning, which deals with you know compensation is is, is all in that. You know, yes, women in general, but specifically black women. I, you know, more often than not, white women had no problem saying, hey, you know, come up, come up off that paper a little bit more. Um, white women and Asian women. And, you know, that's been my experience, um, not just in the Bay. I've worked, you know, all over the country. Um but what is consistent is black women not asking for more, being okay with whatever was offered. And actually I've had several experiences, situations where they've actually said, well, you know, I don't need to have that much. I don't need to, sis. <laughs> Wait, what now? Look. Beloved, that's no, 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 that's not what we're doing. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to, to fight for, you know, fight on behalf of Black women employees, Black women um, candidates um, who were more qualified, right? Um, I, and there's one situation in particular I can think of where um, she's in a, she was in a, uh, she, she's, at, at that time, she was being hired as in-house counsel um, for uh, a tech company. And I've worked at several different tech companies. And actually, I've had two situations where I was hiring in-house counsel. Um, but, but this particular case uh, or situation, um, she was more than qualified. Uh, she was the only Black woman. I sought her out. I, I sought out a black woman to be in the candidate pool. And lo and behold, she was the most qualified. She had the most experience. And the nature of this particular tech company, um, it was critical to have a particular type of legal experience. And she was the only one that had it. They were reluctant to hire her. Uh, I twisted their arm. So they did, they, they decided they were going to offer her the job. However, they were going to offer her $15,000 less than the bottom range. And the justification was that that 15,000 would be a 90 day incentive. And I'm like, yeah, no. So, so I, I, I had to, you know, um, cause I, I, again, my colleagues know I don't have a problem saying something at all. Um, so I did. And this so was hold on. Can I ask a question? Because I sure. want to make sure I understand that. So in the job announcement that she replied to, there was a base salary. I'm just going to throw out numbers of a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And they said to you, don't offer her a hundred thousand, offer her 85. And then if she stays on for 90 days, then offer her a 15 K raise. 
Is that is that what you mean by below the bed? Okay, so how how that makes sense? I mean, she's a, a educated woman who applied to a job for an, a, a salary that she was expecting at a minimum $100,000 or whatever the base was. And you want to offer her the job. She has the most experience. She has a specialized experience. And then you want to pretend that you're giving her a bonus. <laughs> that math ain't math. Ain't. I don't. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you, sis. I should write a book. That math ain't math. Ain't. I'm sorry. If and, I was and, her, <laughs> I'd be like, that's not the ba- that's not even the minimum salary in the job well, announcement. Well, well, we'll just know that that we didn't do that. Okay, thank you. So okay. you were the advocate that was like, yes, y'all need and to go think about that. That's exactly, not right. exactly. And and you know, I I have been in some pretty rarefied air uh, in my uh, career, and that meant typically that I was the only the only one, right? The only one in the room, and for them, I was the exception, right? We are different. So I was privy to a lot of conversations and and comments that, you know, yeah. So there were always these conversations. Um, and, And oftentimes they would want me to use my black card, you know, to, you know, you know, get someone to accept $15,000. Right. So, so anyway, so to circle back, um, you know, yes, oftentimes, um, more often than not, actually, um, you know, although I feel like it's, it's definitely changed, um, in the last five years for sure. Um, there's much more information out there, you know, um, the internet or the the imminence, as my dad says, has absolutely, um, or is is doing phenomenal in leveling the playing field. Um, but but um, you know we 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 collectively black women, the black community, aren't as nimble. And so we don't um, you know, adjust as quickly as we should more often than not, um, which is, which also plays a role in why we're we're behind often, um, but but yes, so many times you know I would have to say you know sis, um, you sure that's your final number, sis? You you sure you don't want to bump that up a few bands? You know, wow. yeah. Um, Oftentimes I would be having conversations as I'm writing and doing things like this, you know, or doing things like this. So I just, cause you don't get a bonus. It's not like when you save, well, maybe you do, maybe you can explain it from your side of the business. Is there any bonus for hiring people for less than the budget? No, I mean, well, right, let me back so. up. Wait, 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 wait. Let me. So, two things. First, a moment ago when I was saying I would be doing things like this, doing things like that, I have to be mindful that this is a podcast. So, in interviews, mm-hmm. I would be writing notes on a notepad as I'm talking about the weather, and I would hold up the notepad with a number or an arrow pointing up. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, we'd be in a panel interview, and I would look directly at sis 
and do something funky with my head. And then I would look up to, to sort of signal. Um, <laughs> or we would have offline conversations. I would call from home or from my cell to have, you know, off the record conversations right. mm-hmm. about compensation. So, you know, so I just wanted to clarify that, but, but to speak to to the bonus. So, so, you know, I'm gonna give you a little background. So, you know, companies create their budgets and I'm not going to get into the whole detail fiscal versus the, no. So they create their budgets. Each department has a budget and, and they look at headcount. They, they, they forecast, right. Based on, business based on projects, you know, um, that are, that are upcoming. So then we've got this big, big, you know, product launch in the fourth quarter of next year, we're going to need X number of, of people. So they get the headcount numbers and they start crunching the numbers. Right. And so each department would, and, and I'm overly generalizing, but, but for the most part, this is how it works. So each department would get their budget you know, for, for, for headcount and, you know, they could play with numbers. That's why sometimes you'll hear, you know, the range is a hundred to 150, but we can go higher for the right person. Well, that means the next person coming in, their salary gets, their offer will, their range gets compressed, right? Because they got, got to pull from the same jar. So, so if there's money left over, there are some companies where that manager or whoever's over that, that contributes to their bonus. Mm-hmm. It, it, it could be a bit, a bonus benchmark, you know, something that they're gauged on, you know, that qualifies them for the bonus, you know, and, and, and typically how they, you know, the, the, the language is cost savings. Mm-hmm. which means they didn't spend the money that they were allotted. Right. But and somebody's going to get that money. So it well, might as well be you exactly. or me. Exactly. Or the applicant exactly. on the other side. So I appreciate you for being an advocate. But now I, I just, and it's sad that we have to even go there. So a few years ago, I think it's been a trend now for some companies to actually publish their salaries, Right. And emphasize this image of equality, same role, same job, same pay. What do you think about that? Do you think that companies are genuinely being honest? And why aren't more companies being forced to do this? Okay. So do I think companies are genuinely being honest? Not necessarily, because there's, you know, there's so many ways to um, present information, right? Um, you know, so yes, same sal- same job, same salary. What about the people that have been in the position? Are you bringing them up? You know, it's called parity, right? So, you know, maybe for your new hires, but is there parity for your existing workforce? So that's the question. I don't care that you're publishing your salaries and it's one job, one salary and everybody we're bringing them. I won't know about Shaniqua and them who've been there for five, six, seven years. Are they making, are they making as much as Jimmy? That makes sense. That's what, that's the questions we should be asking as a community. Mm. 
right? Um, so, so parity, that's the word. Parity, I like that. So what are some concrete negotiation tips? Because you've already noted that sometimes you had to help a sister out, but what should I do or say? And is there ever a time when it's not appropriate to negotiate? There is never a time to negotiate. Everything is negotiable. Okay. Everything. I'm, I'm of the position that it never hurts to ask because even if the answer is no, you are in the same position you were in. No worse for wear, right? And, you know, so, that, so that's the worst case scenario is they just say no and you where you been. But what if the doors open? And they give you room to negotiate. Everything's negotiable. What I want Black women to understand is that, is that, that everything is negotiable. It's not just about the Benjamins. You know, sometimes you are coming in behind Jimmy, who got 50000 above the range. So now your range as a candidate is compressed. Right? Um, so once you are satisfied that that 150 is the best they really can do pay-wise, tangible pay-wise, because there's pay and then there's compensation, right? Compensation is your pay or your salary, your benefits, your PTO, your, um, um, ex, um, it's called, they're calling, they're, they're changing the names of everything now, but they're calling it extended learning or professional development. It, you know, all of those things have, have value, have dollar signs attached to them, right? So you need to get clear what's important to you. If the Benjamins are important and nothing else, then you need to be clear that you are in that you're placed in a, in a you're in a particular position you're in a weaker position for negotiating really okay um but hey if you're clear that that's what matters to you then just know that going in right um but hey negotiate uh um your benefits negotiate time negotiate a sabbatical hmm. okay mental health is important particularly for black women Yep. Negotiate uh, travel conferences. You know, hey, I want, you know, look, if, if you can't meet my salary, are you open to non, you know, non-salary compensation? Are, are, you, are you guys able to do that? And if you are, then and make a list, make a list of what's important to you. Research that company. And understand, especially if it's a, if it's a nonprofit or um, a publicly traded company, and I can't remember because not all publicly traded companies, they, they, they segment them. So certain publicly traded companies actually are required to publish their, you know, their, their compensation packages above a certain uh, um, job position. Um, and I just, I can't remember what that rating is called. But anyway, um, you know, so, so research the company. Reach out on LinkedIn to some of the employees and say, hey, you know, because the problem is we don't talk about our money yes. with each other. Yes, that is and problem they, number one. Yes. And they count on that. They, 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 it's like religion to them. They count on it. And there's okay. nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing. 
It's funny how a culture, we've created a culture where it's taboo to talk about how much you make. It's like you offended somebody when you ask that question. In the Black community. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something. White folks talk about it. Okay. Before the job interview, during the job interview, after. Because they, they want to know before they even get to the compensation offer. Exactly. They talk about it. They, you know, especially if, if there's, if they know people at the company or they're, or it's a refer a friend situation, they'll say, hey, you know, the job, you know, th- the job you're going for isn't quite like mine, but this is what I'm at. Okay. Right? I like that. You know, they, they talk, they talk about it, girl. Oh man. We we don't. We 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 walk around as if and it's like, look, you know, they there should be no shame. We are all here to win. Right. And don't make it top secret. Make it a conversation that people comfortably have so we can exactly. help each other. Exactly. Right. I like that. So I do have a question that yeah. um I was talking to a friend about this recently. You know, I live in the D.C. area, which is a higher cost of living. And there are some companies that actually pay a locality pay or additional compensation because it's more expensive to live here. So you might get that additional pay in New York and D.C. and California. Right. Right. But if your job relocates you to a lower cost of living city and state, do you think it's fair to assume that you also have to take lower compensation? So, this is probably going to be unpopular. Okay. No, speak on it, girl. Speak but on it, though. It depends. And let me let me throw some things out. So, it so I'm going to give you some some not so tangible depends dependencies and some tangible dependencies. So we'll start with the tangible. Um, it depends on where that company is based because certain states have certain laws that that company must abide by. Perfect example, California. I'm in San Francisco Bay Area where you know a, a 600 square foot teardown is $900,000. Right. Um, Gas is seven (laughs) dollars. You know, bread is six dollars. I mean, you know, so on paper, you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars sounds amazing. But but in actuality, you qualify for public assistance if you make one hundred thousand dollars a year for a family of four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's all relative. Mm -hmm. It's all relative. So. um, So, you know, in California. They can't um, backgrade you. That's what it's called. Meaning that, you know, if you leave the Bay Area, move to Southern California or move to Idaho. They can't backgrade you. If the company is based in California and a certain number of their employees are based in California. Right. Mm. So so it kind of depends on the company. If, if they're a, a multinational company and, and they may be headquartered in California, but they have X number of employees all over, they might be able to. But they're not going to be able to go below a certain level. So it's important that if you're going if you're 
working for the company, they relocate you somewhere where the cost of living is less and you know where they're going. You do your research to understand what that cost of living is, what the differential is going to be. And then say, hey, 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 hey. I know we moving to Texas. You, you moving me to Texas. Right. Where it's significantly less. However. You know, um, and, and, and you plead your case. Okay. But it's important, you know, knowledge is, is power and it's important to, you know, do your research, understand, um, you know, at, at least the basics, you know, like, it, you know, what's happening where you're being relocated to, you know, what, mm-hmm. and, and, and whatever. So, yeah, that's my two cents. OK, I like that. That's a good answer, because I actually have I'm not from the HR background, but I was of the perspective that. Maybe I'm being selfish, but I was like, I think you should be offered the same or more because hey, you relocating, right? Hey, and I don't, hey, lady. you know, and I was like, and I don't think it matters that DC is more expensive than at uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, wherever you're going, right? I'm like, if you told them you bank two fifty today, and they want you to move, then they should pay you at least two fifty tomorrow. I don't know. I just feel well, like. Well, that, that, I mean, again, this is where it depends. So, you know, you're not wrong in, in your thinking because that's fair, right? Mm -hmm. That's fair. It's the right thing to do. Right. It seems right. You know, you, you company are telling me to keep my job. I got to move and you want to cut my bank. Right. So, so that, so it's important to understand what, what the company's policies are Mm. as well. It's important to speak up. You know, find out what they've been doing. Don't just let it happen. Be proactive. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 if they say, well, we're going to have to back rate you, they're probably not going to call it that. But that's what it's called within. And if they're going to have to back rate you or or cut your pay. um, You know, you want to understand why, you you know, and it's okay to ask them. Say, you know, I need to understand what, how did you arrive at that number? Right. That's a good question. That's a fair question. Mm -hmm. Do your research and be like, well, this kind of job pays this. This is how much milk costs. This is how much bread costs there. This is how much gas costs there. This is how much it's going to cost for me to maintain. So how did you, how did you, how did you get to this number? What is it based on? Show me, you know, show me where the money resides. Show me the number. (laughs) where the money reside. I love it. Yes. Show me where the money reside. So I bet you probably, uh, so maybe, maybe not, but this is also another thing I, I feel about compensation. Mm-hmm. If you had the choice between a signing bonus or a higher salary, what would you take? Higher salary. Absolutely. I've yeah. always said that, but I've had people argue with me that they're well, like, no, I want the signing bonus so I can invest it and I can do woo woo woo. And I said, but base pay never changes, boo. Raises are based off of base pay. Compensation as you get promoted is based off of base pay. Why would you settle are based off of base pay? Yes. Bonuses. I mean, why would you settle for a one-time check when you can set that, yourself up for a lifetime? That you are taxed into next year on. Yes. I said. Come on. You know, you are taxed into next year. It is a one-time bump. 
I'll you take know, the base pay, the higher salary. All, all every day, time. every day. Higher base pay for 1000 Alex. <laughs> all day long. Yes. Because and, it's gonna make it's gonna make a game changer difference. The next time they offer you a raise, the next time they say a cost of living increase. Not not only that, let me tell you something. Not only that, but when you leave that company and go to another one, you can say, I'm at this rate. That's that you know, so much is based on your on your base pay. And, you know, when you take the bonus, not only are you being taxed at a much higher rate, you're being taxed at 48 percent. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so that that 10,000 bonus. Is fifty two hundred. So you telling me you you really going to take that and invest it? Yeah, that's a tough call. Most people piddle it away. Or just blow it all together. Facts. I like it. I like it. So at least I'm not the only one out here preaching, take the higher base pay because I'm like, I don't understand that will set you up to make more money indefinitely, potentially, depending on how this compensation squeeze is going, as we talked about earlier. And it's, and I do feel like you said, it's a whole package because we didn't even get into the equity part where some companies um, ooh, will give on. you stock or options, you know. Um, and I, yep, I have experience with that working in tech. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I know people who, for example, like some of my parents, friends from high school, they went into tech. They one of them worked at AOL before it was AOL mm-hmm. and they had stock options. And when AOL blew up, they cashed out like, multi-millionaires ended yeah. up deciding, you know, I don't have to work yeah. anymore, but let yep. me just keep a little bit of this for my kids, kids, but I'm out. Right. So there's mm-hmm. always the possibility that you, you know, saddle up with the right company at and, the right and, time. And, and, and honestly, and I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be a little, you know, I'm going a, I'm to a be a little more realistic with that because you know, there's a little bit of pie in the sky with that, right? Um, I, I, you know, I work, I worked in tech right as the boom was starting. So we're talking 97 to 02 or 03. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at Google before it became Google. Um, Netscape, Netflix, uh, SGI, which is Adobe, um, and, a, and, and a bunch of other, you know, um, uh, mm-hmm tech companies that have now been absorbed by, you know, uh, bigger, better, better. So, you know, when we were talking about, when I was talking about everything's negotiable, um, you know, definitely negotiate for some equity, you know, ask for, um, sorry, my neighbor's watering. Ask for uh, an escalated vesting schedule, right? Um, ask for, you know, instead of them uh, parceling, um, you know, uh, uh, fractional shares per pay period, ask for quarterly lump stock, you know, uh, 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 um, um, uh, payments. <laughs> I don't know why I can't think of the, think of the word, but uh, 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 gifts, sorry, you know, um, stock gifts. Ask for that. You know, ask for um, um, additional contributions to your pension, retirement, or your retirement plan, or four hundred one k, or IRA. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much, but, but the stock question, the equity question, absolutely. That should be a given. And, and it's not even about, you know, looking up on the right company because, you know, if you're at a company period that has a, has a stable stock price, it don't matter if, if it, you know, all of a sudden they go public and ooh, ooh. equity is equity. This is true. Pay me an equity, as Beyonce says. There's a reason why she said that. It's paid off for her. I mean, she's gotten in on companies before they were public, and then they went public, and that investment has paid off more than. Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you a more realistic, you know, situation. You know, of a of a, a situation of um, where equity happened even after the the whole public thing, because again. Equity matters whether the company is pre-IPO or not. Mm. And that's what I want people to understand. So I'm going to give you an example. Jay-Z with um, his champagne company, Aces. Um, I can't, oh God, I can't think of the name of the champagne company that, let me see if I can Google it real quick, that um, uh, came in and said, we want 50%. Now, most people would be like, eh, 50%, up, hold up, hold up just a sec. But he negotiated equity, right? Mm-hmm. He said, okay, well, you know, let me get, you know, some equity in your company. And is, this is driving me nuts because I, w- I want to find out. Um, okay. Uh, let's see, Jay-Z, Aces, uh, or Aces, babe. La, 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 la. Cartier. So the French champagne company Cartier um, in 06 purchased 50%, right? Uh, no, he purchased 50% in 2014, excuse me. Um, and he said, okay, well, you know, you want 50% of my brand, right? What am I going to get in addition to? You're buying a portion of my company what do I get in return? Let's let's let 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 us do some swapping, right? Mm-hmm. So not only did he get paid out for you know for a portion of his company, but he got equity in Cartier. You know, um, yeah. So so you know you 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 to negotiate equity on an existing public company, equity is equity. Public or private, ownership is ownership. That can mean a lot for you when it comes to time to sell or reevaluate, and it can be lucrative for you financially. So having ownership and working there is like a sweet spot. Exactly. I like that. So this has been a really good conversation and I've learned a lot about why we don't get the money that we're getting and how to do better. So I appreciate the negotiation tips. But before we conclude, I asked my guests this question because the name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money. So I'd love to know what is your purpose for money? Mm. Money, the purpose of money for me is a level of freedom. So it, it, it will provide, it provides a level of freedom. And I don't mean that in 
you know, I can go travel and, you know, buy bags and purchase property. But, you know, for the purpose of money for me is it's a tool, really, a tool to get to freedom. It's, it's a tool to help me live better. It's, you know, and for me, that's that's a level of freedom. Right. Um, it means that I can hire someone to clean my house so that I can spend more time with my husband or my child. Right. It means that I can hire someone to drive me because, you know, I'm, I'm gimpy. I'm partially paralyzed and I shouldn't be driving, um, you know, it, it, and I can be more productive because I don't have to drive. Right. Um, it, it means I could be more productive because there are just some things that I, I don't have to do. Right. Um, for me, it's a tool. I like it. And it's valuable and we all need to utilize the tool to our advantage. And I and I love it. I've been one to do the same. I've utilized the income I've made to hire a chef because I don't want to cook anymore and I want to eat healthier and I don't want to order out all the time. And those are luxuries that some people think, oh, she bougie. She got a chef. She thinks she's this. She thinks she's that. And I said, no, it actually was cheaper for me and my family to hire someone to cook healthy meals on a regular basis than to eat out every single night or every other night. And I didn't have the time in my life to dedicate to cooking and running the business and being a mom and being a wife and, you know, and being present when I want to be present because then you're tired and you're not present. So I was like, what is one thing I could take off my plate and be cost effective? So I, I love it. Money is a tool. And it should be utilized to make our lives greater. So I love that answer. And I would love for my listeners to check you out on social media and on your website. So can you please let us know where can we find you? Absolutely. You can find me at coachangela.com. And I am uh, Coach Angela or Coach Angela Ross across all platforms. And I've been in the coaching game long before coaching became a thing. Um, since 1998. And um, and a quick correction, um, I, in addition to a business and money coach, um, I have a, a, a financial and small business services consulting firm where we have a tax practice, tax and accounting practice, a nonprofit practice, and my baby, the business consulting practice, where we work with other small businesses, teaching them the mechanics of running a business one, you know, and helping them get it up and running. So taxes is, is we do taxes, but it's a small part. Um, so I just wanted to correct that, but please check me out on Instagram. I'm coach Angela Ross. You guys can find me at CoachAngela.com, and yeah, check me out. Oh, yes. I'll make sure to conclude all of the ways to connect with you in the show notes and on the website. So please check it out. And if you like this episode, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening, like it and share it with your friends. Tell all your girlfriends they need to listen to this episode and ask for more money. Until next time, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep creating freedom in your life today.